Welcome to the Invest Like a Boss podcast. I'm Sam Marks. And I'm Johnny FD. We're self-made entrepreneurs who invest our own money and use modern technology to invest like a boss. Join us each week for exclusive interviews with our network of modern investors, business owners, and multimillionaires to discover new ways to invest our hard-earned cash. Welcome back, bosses. This is episode 181. This is Sam Marks, and I'm joined here with my very talented, smart investing co-host, Derek of California. And today we're going to be talking about meat replacements or alternative meats. I don't even know if we've gotten the lingo right yet, Derek. There's a lot out there. <laughs> I'm not sure either. Thanks for those kind words, by the way. I said about six different phrases to our guest today and he just went, yeah, that sounds good. So I'm not sure what yeah. the correct vernacular is here. Yeah, it's a, it's a tricky one. But what's important is one, this stuff is good for the world. Two, because it's good for the world, it's good for the human story. And three, people are making a lot of money off of it. It's relatively new technology. So with anything like that, uh, you know, there's, there's efficiency as a scale and economies of scale that have to be built into this stuff yet. But Derek, I've been doing a deep dive into this stuff over the last two, three weeks. It's very refreshing to know how many really smart people out there in the world are working on solutions, including who we're going to have on this episode, a very good food company. But I felt really good about life the last couple of weeks, just knowing how many companies all over the world, not just in the US or Canada, but all over the world are working on uh, meat replacements, alternative meats, and, and all types of sustainable, we can get into more of the, the sustainable uh, industry. But this, this industry in particular is starting to make some massive moves. I feel like this just came out of nowhere too. Uh, Very Good Food started in 2016 out of essentially a garage. And they're uh, this huge company now, they're IPO, they're public. And there's all kinds of competitors hitting this space now too. So you hit me up and said, we got to talk to one of these guys. And our guest today it happens to be the CEO and co-founder of Very Good Foods. His name is Mitchell Scott. And... They're a major player in this, and you might not have even heard of them because they're not even in the United States yet. So how this whole thing got started, or how I got interested in this particularly, was I got back from the Asia recently to South Carolina, and I went to the to the grocery store locally, and the, even the local grocery stores have Beyond Burgers and Impossible Sausage and stuff. And I started noticing like this stuff is everywhere. It's at McDonald's now. Burger King has it. All the major grocery stores are carrying the stuff, and dude, I bought impossible sausages and now I'm eating those every morning instead of having normal sausages. I feel better about <laughs> being a person. I feel better about what I'm eating and it tastes good, man. Like I still like the taste of meat, but this stuff tastes really good. So there's massive opportunity, obviously beyond meat made make headlines with their IPO going back a couple of years ago. Uh, but there's a lot of money being made on it. And there's a lot of really good people working, uh, working on sustainability, but in particular meat replacements, alternative meats is blowing up my friend. And we got to profit from it while we're feeling good about what we're investing in. So I think there's a new kid on the block in the form of very good food company because they're currently only in Canada, but they just signed a huge distribution deal to hit the States and their plan is to go global. And they have a different approach to the products they create and what's actually inside those products. So let's have a chat with CEO Mitchell Scott. He's also the co-founder of Very Good Food Company. We're talking alternative foods today, alternative meats, plant-based meats, vegan foods, whatever you want to call it. 
tons of names for it because everyone's excited about it. It's a new space and we got the CEO and co-founder of one of the new up and coming companies called the Very Good Food Company. His name is Mitchell Scott. Welcome to Invest Like a Boss. Thanks so much for having me. Pleasure to be here. Yeah. So this is a space that Sam, our co-host, was like, hey, we, we got to talk, talk about this because there's a lot of stuff going on. Uh, I go to stores all the time. I'm in grocery stores a lot for my business. And you can't go down any aisle without seeing anything plant-based, uh, vegan, uh, almond milk, oat milk, whatever it may be. Yeah. Everyone wants it and they're, they're willing to pay a premium for it. So it's a really cool space. But I want to know what got you interested into the alternative food space and how you got to the point that you started your own company. Yeah, absolutely. So I'll tell you the quick little story of, of how we started. Um, take you back spring, summer of 2016. Um, there's this guy named James, classically trained French chef from England, uh, moves to Vancouver, BC. Uh, so West Coast of Canada. Um, starts working at a, a plant-based restaurant, um, ends up going vegan, uh, meets a girl, has a kid, you know, all in the space of a, a few months or a year or, or however long that takes. Um, <laughs> he then heads up to uh, a little place called Demon Island. Uh, so not sure where you're based, but basically west coast of Canada, there's Vancouver, and there's this big island called Vancouver Island. Victoria, the capital, is at the bottom, two and a half hours north of there. You take a little ferry, you're on Demon Island. Uh, cool. You're about a two and a half hour flight north for me. I'm in LA. So, okay, sweet. Yeah. So yeah, just up the coast a little bit. Um, gets to this Island, uh, very quickly realizes there's no work for him. There's not really any restaurants, not a lot to do, for him to do. Um, and he's going to have to get a little bit entrepreneurial, uh, at the same time, you know, he's just turned vegan. He's kind of missing the taste of meat. He goes in the grocery store and he's really just not impressed. Uh, a lot of the products there are just overly processed, full of ingredients he can't pronounce. And basically, he wants he wants something that he can feed his young, growing family and, and feel good about. Um, so being a chef, he goes in the kitchen for a month or so, comes out with two products, uh, classic veggie burger and English breakfast sausages, uh, takes them to the local farmer's market and sells out in about half an hour. Um, so that summer, summer of 2016, James and his wife you know, spent their time every week in the kitchen making these products and then selling out every weekend at the farmer's market. Um, and then that's where I kind of come into the picture. Um, so it was actually at a family barbecue. Uh, so it turns out um, James's wife's brother is married to my sister. So we're, you know, stepbrothers-in-law once removed or something like that. <laughs> sure. um, I'd grown up vegetarian. So I'd had a lot of not, not very great veggie burgers over the years. Uh, <laughs> I'm sure we all have. Uh, and I, tr I tried these products at the family barbecue and I was just blown away. Uh, he really nailed it in terms of taste, in terms of texture. Uh, it was just a great product. Um, I'd been working uh, remotely for a Japanese company for about five years on, in biz dev sales, uh, those kind of roles. I was ready to do something different. Um, I'd always wanted to start my own company, had never had what I thought was a good product or idea. Um, so yeah, we, we got to talking, decided to team up uh, and kind of took off from there. Um, our, our first event together was in Victoria, so kind of the next big city, uh, Christmas market. We showed up there with our coolers full of meat, posted on a local Facebook group beforehand, you know, once again, had a great experience had about 100 people show up uh, and sold out once again. Um, while we were there, we noticed they had a full-time retail space available. So it's basically a, a year-round indoor market. There's you know day vendors on the inside with their tables. There's retail stores around the outside. Um, yeah, the market manager offered us this retail space. We jumped on it uh, a few months later, February of 2017. We opened the first vegan butcher shop on the West Coast of Canada. Uh, we had about 1,000 people show up on our opening day. Uh, we had to shut down for a week after that just to kind of restock everything. 
Uh, and since then, we've just been struggling to keep up with the man and keep growing the business. Um, got a few highlights you want me to touch on them over the years or? Yeah, sure. So, well, let's start from the beginning first. So yeah. did this start as, as a side hustle or did you just know there was real potential there and you went all in right away? Yeah. So I'd say definitely for James, I think it was kind of a side hustle. It was like, a, I need to do something to bring some money in. I'm going to try doing this over the summer market season, see how it goes. Um, I think he was getting ready in the, the fall to, to go into construction and get his apprenticeship. And this is uh, about 2016, correct? Summer of 2016. Okay. Yeah. So I came in, I was like, wow, you know, this, this stuff is great. Let's, let's see where we can take this. Um, and then once we did that kind of Christmas market and had that big response, and then we were kind of like, you know what, let's this, there's a, there's, this thing's got some, uh, some legs. Um, so then we kind of just dove right into opening up this butcher shop. Uh, and then since then it's been, yeah, it's been pretty much full on. Very cool. Now, I think you guys did a crowdfunding campaign as well. And you also had an appearance on the show called Dragon's Den. Um, if people aren't familiar with that, it's similar to the, the American version of Shark Tank. So can you tell us about your experience with that, both crowdfunding and going on Dragon's Den and, and what the outcome was, uh, if any of them bought into it or yeah. how that worked out? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so yeah, we opened the butcher shop, um, you know, February of, uh, 2017, we, you know, bootstrapped it. I had a, a bit of savings I put in, uh, but it was, you know, it was pretty tight. Um, and we quickly realized that, you know, there was a lot more demand for our products than we could meet. Um, at the time we were making this stuff up on them and driving it, you know, two and a half hours sure. uh, every day. Um, and so we said, Hey, let's, let's turn to Kickstarter. Um, so we launched a Kickstarter campaign basically to help us expand. Um, and it was essentially a big pre-order for our meat. So it was kind of like, let's raise some money, get some new equipment, um, move into a bigger space, and then uh, we'll send you a bunch of meat once we're up and running. Uh, it worked great. I think we raised about 74,000 from uh, 800 people uh, around the world. Um, so use that money to expand into a bigger space, still in the same market, uh, but just, you know, there's a production kitchen in the back. Uh, we expanded our offering of meats uh, and hot food as well. Um, cool. And, and about how long did it take from the initial investment to, to these investors to actually get the product sent to their homes? Yeah. So I think, so I'm, I'm trying to remember it was, it was a while ago. So I think we sure. launched the, launched the campaign in the summer. I want to say maybe July. Uh, we, we closed it in August. Um, we opened the new space end of September and then we started shipping stuff kind of early October. Okay, great. So within a few months, that's pretty good. Some of those Kickstarters, you can wait years. <laughs> oh, I know. Um, yeah, I mean, the nice thing for us was like we had the space picked out. So it's kind of just getting in there, having more space. And then we just focused, okay, we got to get these guys their product, right? So um, sure. yeah. Uh, and then I guess just in terms of, I guess, what the Very Good Butchers is or was, um, the idea was like a plant-based butcher shop. So high quality meats like you might find in a butcher shop. So we've got a brick and mortar store. Um, you can come in, get your meats and cheese is sliced up by the hundred grams. Uh, we have a fast casual restaurant attached to that, which basically is just showing that plant-based eating is, is approachable and delicious. So burgers, deli sandwiches, mac and cheese, poutine, um, and then having a range oh, of Oh, I got to have the poutine. I love you Canadians. Yeah, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then having a range of products. So not just doing burgers and sausages, but having like pepperonis and steaks and ribs and trying to replicate that butcher shop experience in store. And then we've also taken that online through e-commerce uh, and into traditional grocery stores and restaurants as well. Great. So at what point does that get you to the Dragon's Den and what did that do for your business from there? Yeah. So yeah, as you mentioned, Dragon's Den is like the Canadian shark tank. Um, I think they're a little bit more polite, uh, but other than that, it's, uh, <laughs> it's very similar. Um, I think, so that would have been, I think it was the following year. 
Um, okay. So April of um, of 2018. Okay. Um, we so they they did this. They go around the country on their casting call. I just showed up at the, this hotel suite and, and pitched to one of the producers. Uh, they liked they liked it. Uh, so me and James flew to Toronto where they film everything. I actually was in April, um, but we were filming the Christmas special. Um, so we cooked a big Christmas dinner for them. Um, and so it ended up airing, you know, that around Christmas time. Or, oh, know, I can imagine all that anticipation. You got to wait, you know, six, seven months for it yeah, to, to air it was, and then see what happens. Yeah. And, we, and like, we don't knew what happened, but we couldn't say anything or talk sure. about it. So it's all, um, but yeah, so what ended up happening is, you know, so we, we go in there, um, we pitch for about 45 minutes, um, have a great response. We ended up getting offers from five of the six dragons or six oh, of wow. the seven dragons. Um, so it was great. Um, they, you know, they liked the product. Uh, we ended up accepting a, a joint deal from two of them. Um, so basically they pitched their offers. We go into the deliberation room and then I looked out the window and I saw the two dragons together. And I was like, Oh, you know, Holy shit. They're going to put together a joint deal or something. <laughs> so we went back out and they offered us, um, 750 K, uh, plus a million dollar interest free loan, uh, for 10% of the company. Uh, so that was putting us at like a 7.5 million valuation or something at the time, which was, which was insane for us. Um, and so, yeah, we, we, we did the handshake deal to that. Um, unfortunately, as is apparently quite common with these shows, uh, it didn't end up going through in the end. Sure. Um, so we had some back and forth. Uh, they ended up coming back with a, a much lower price uh, that we weren't, we weren't super interested. Uh, so what we did then is we turned to a, a, a website called Front Funder. Uh, it's basically like Kickstarter, but for equity. Um, so like an equity crowdfunding platform and we raised 600 grand, um, from about 250 investors across Canada. Uh, and we use that to funnel our next phase of expansion. So we use that to open up a dedicated, uh, little factory here in, in Victoria, uh, and some other expansions. Very cool. So even though a deal didn't end up going through, you still made it to air though, correct? Yeah, it still aired. It was great for publicity. Right. I remember when it dropped like our online store, I was like, oh man, I might have to turn this off again. We're getting too many orders, <laughs> which has actually happened, <laughs> happened a few times in the past. Um, so yeah, it was great for publicity. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, we ended up being able to raise money on that as very similar valuation uh, from through crowdfunding. Uh, so overall, super happy with it. And it was definitely worth the trip. Awesome. So let's talk about some of the products that very, very good food company offers. It yeah. seems that the majority of your meat products, at least uh, beans are the base ingredient. Can you speak mm -hmm. to, to why you chose beans and how it differs from maybe some of your competitors? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I mean, to start with, you know, they're great. They're high in protein. Uh, they're very versatile. Uh, and I think what, what James was doing when he first started creating the products is, yeah, he was looking at the other products in the market and they were, you know, just filled with ingredients. He couldn't pronounce preservative isolates, et cetera. Um, and he kind of was like, you know, I've got to, got to be able to make something better than this. Um, and so he turned to beans. So basically all of our meat products, they're a combination of beans, veggies, herbs, and spices. And then sometimes, you know, a bit of wheat flour, wheat gluten to kind of bind it all together. Um, so it's very kind of low processed whole foods. Um, in terms of the beans we use, uses different types for different products, but black beans, kidney beans, adzuki beans, uh, and then a lot of, a lot of fresh veggies go in there as well. Um, you know, carrots, onions, garlic, beets, uh, et cetera. Uh, and then with his, his chef background, he's just got a very keen kind of understanding of flavor. Um, so it can add the right herbs and spices to give it those kind of more traditional meaty flavors. Great. So you're not using any of these harmful chemicals that maybe, I think there's been a lot of critics out there for, you know, uh, other products that are in the market right now saying, you know, this is great that 
we're, we're using less cows and less chickens or whatever it may be to help the environment, but it also comes at a cost that you, you're ingesting all these chemicals. How do you speak to that? Yeah, I mean, I, th I think if you look at our ingredients list um, and there's no harmful chemicals there, uh, I think the, you know, the meat industry is also feels threatened by you know, all these veggie burgers, so they're going to attack it in any way you can. Sure. The reality is you look at any type of food, like you look at a lot of meat burgers and they're pumped full of hormones or pumped full of chemicals. Like it's not like your average meat hamburger is, you don't know, pure straight from the meat. field, cow, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> grass fed or any of that. Uh, so I think there's a lot of mudslinging going on. Sure. Um, that being said, I mean, yeah, we try to just let our ingredients list speak for itself uh, and just put out high quality products that also, you know, taste good and deliver on, on texture and flavor. Great. So where do you source all these ingredients for your plant-based products? Yeah. So when we started, we, we try to source as locally as possible. So, you know, from the Victoria, greater Victoria area, go to the Fraser Valley, uh, obviously West coast of Canada, there's not a lot of beans growing here. It's just not the right kind of climate. Uh, sure. so we go into the, the interior of Canada, uh, into the prairies and stuff. Um, and then as we grow in scale, we, you know, we sometimes have to start looking further afield to get products in the quantities that we need. Um, so I think we're in the process of also opening a production facility in California. Uh, okay. So when we open that, we're going to be sourcing a lot of the farms are about 45 minutes or so away from there. Um, so currently everything is either sourced from Canada or from the United States. Yep. Yeah. Okay, great. Uh, so you've recently expanded into, into cheeses and some dairy product, or I guess non-dairy products, but I don't know how you exactly classify them. So tell us about that. You know, you used to be called the very good butchers. And I think you've recently changed the name to the very good food company to, to realize that you're not just a, a vegan meat. Yeah. So I'll tell you a little bit about how that happened. So yeah, we started, you know, at the farmer's market as the very good butchers uh, and, and built out and grew that brand uh, and, and got a, a very loyal following. Uh, and then about just close to a year ago, maybe 10 months or so ago, uh, we ended up going public uh, on the Canadian uh, Stock Exchange. Um, and when we did that, we decided to go public as the very good food company. Um, reason for that is we didn't want to just be doing kind of plant-based meats for the rest of our lives. We wanted to get into these other categories as well. Uh, plant-based cheese, dairy, sauces, kind of the whole, you know, seafood, the whole spectrum. Um, so that's why we figured that the very good food company was a good platform for that. So kind of the umbrella brand. Uh, and then we can kind of build out other brands under it or acquire them through M&A and build a whole platform. Um, at the end of the day, you know, the, the kind of mission of the very good food company is, is we want to be able to kind of, you know, go into someone's fridge or pantry uh, and take all the, you know, the animal-based products in there and replace them with a tastier, healthier plant-based alternative. Um, so that's kind of what we're working towards. Uh, this cheese company was the first step in that. Uh, so we acquired a local plant-based cheese company out of Victoria and are rebranding it as a very good cheese company. Great. So since you brought it up, let's talk about your IPO. You went public yeah. last summer uh, on the Canadian Stock Exchange, uh, ticker V-E-R-Y, I believe. And also later in 2020, you became available to American investors on the OTC market. Uh, ticker is V-R-Y-Y-F. Mm -hmm. Tell us about that experience because you're obviously a still very, you know, pretty small company that mm -hmm. is growing fast, but it seems a little early for an IPO maybe, or what were your thoughts on that? Yeah. I mean, it definitely wasn't the kind of traditional, especially for a food company route, you know, traditionally if you're, you're in food, you kind of keep doing what you're doing. If you're doing well, you raise a, a series A or bring in some VC money. And then eventually you kind of get it, get, end up getting kind of bought out by a big multinational, or maybe you might IPO kind of, you know, 10 years down the line. Sure. Um, for us, what ended up happening is we were, we were fundraising kind of, we were, we were out there talking to angel investors, talking to VCs, 
got some term sheets. Um, and then I ended up, I was actually in, in Vancouver uh, delivering some orders. I uh, just met a, a customer there. He was a huge fan of what we were doing. Um, he wanted to invest. Uh, his whole thing was he didn't like investing in, in private companies. Mm-hmm. Um, so his pitch was, you know, him and his, a few friends put in a, a chunk of money, help scale up the company, you know, professionalize it with the goal of taking it public on the, uh, the Canadian small cap exchange. Um, okay. So I think here in Canada, it's a little bit easier and cheaper to take a company public. Um, so you have a lot of kind of micro caps or smaller cap company, public companies out there. That's um, what I was going to ask. Cause in the U S it's, it's a really expensive venture and it can wipe out a lot of your capital. So, yeah. So it's, it's, it is much uh, yeah, easier to do uh, in Canada um, f- for smaller companies. Um, and so what we did is we looked at the options on the table and this, this kind of proposal, you know, was the best. It made the most sense at the same time, you know, beyond me to gone public a few months earlier, there was a lot of retail interest we'd done this front funder equity crowdfunding campaign. So we already had kind of 250 investors on our cap table almost. Um, and so that makes it harder to raise VC money as well. Sure. Uh, and it just kind of seemed like the next kind of logical evolution. Like we were already owned by our, our customers and fans. Let's you know take it all the way and, and become publicly owned. Um, and we just kind of decided to go for it. Um, I mean, it, it was definitely a, a tough, you know, expensive process, um, you know, did the, the audit, all the filing documents, you know, a, a ton of work. Uh, and then, you know, February, March of last year, we were all ready to IPO. Uh, and then of course, COVID hits. <laughs> <laughs> Great Markets timing. Crash. Yeah. Uh, and we're like, oh no. Um, People needed food still though. I'll tell you that. <laughs> they did. And like the rest of our, our online business was taking off. Everything was going great business wise. Um, so we just kind of waited a couple months, uh, went public you know, at, uh, yeah. in I think June or July. Um, and it went great. I mean, we went public at, at 25 cents a share. It shot up to you know 250. Um, we raised some some additional capital. Uh, share price is around 450 right now. Uh, we think it's still got a lot of room for growth. Um, and I guess since since going public, we've really it's really changed uh, changed everything because we now have easy access to capital. Um, so we can really scale and grow and expand in a way that we wouldn't have been able to do before without kind of giving away our entire company. Um, so myself and my co-founder are still you know. The, the largest shareholders in the public company. Um, we've hired a great team. We're, you know, expanding into new facilities and really just, you know, pouring some gas on the fire. Very cool. I think I also read that you were the second alternative uh, foods company in the world to actually IPO too. We were, yeah. The, so the second, yeah, kind of plant-based meat company, uh, like purely plant-based. Um, as I mentioned, kind of the traditional route for this food company is you, you get bought up or you or something like that. So a lot of other of the other kind of plant-based brands have been acquired by the the Nestle's and Unilever's and sure. big meat, big meat is also buying these brands because they want to offset, you know, their declining meat sales with increasing plant-based sales. Um, so yeah, we're the, we're the second, second IPO. And I think we actually looked at the data and we were the top performing IPO of, uh, of last year in terms of like percentage gain. Very cool. Let's yeah. hope that continues. Yeah. So you got all this new capital. Uh, let's find out what you're, what you're using it for. Uh, it sounds like you just opened up a new production facility. I know you had mentioned expanding into California, uh, which is where I live. Um, can you tell us about that? And how will you be distributing all this new product that you can create? Yeah. So, I mean, our, our biggest pro- problem, as I kind of alluded to before, since day one, is has been we've got way more demand than we can supply. Um, so we're having to like stores are reaching out saying, can we list your products? And we're having to put them on a waiting list. Uh, we have to turn the, the online store off every now and then. Um, so we, we, we knew that we had to, to address this in a, in a meaningful way. Um, so one of the first, the big projects, which we've just opened right now is a, is a, you know, a few weeks ago is a big production facility in Vancouver. 
Uh, it's 40,000, 45,000 square feet. Um, and it was the old day of foods production facility. So they were the one of the, the fastest growing plant-based, you know, cheese companies. Oh, sure. I know Dea. Yeah. Yeah. So, so we're moving into their old production facility. So it's, it's a, you know, you know, it's a new great production facility that's, you know, doing high volume food production. Uh, we've got all our equipment in there. Um, and we're producing sellable product out of it finally. Um, and in terms of distribution, um, basically the big focus this year is on North America. Um, so expanding across the rest of Canada and then expanding into the States, uh, should have product on shelves in the States, uh, before summer. Um, and then after that, we're kind of, we're kind of looking at other mar markets like, uh, Europe and, and Asia Pacific. Sure. So let's talk about the U S though. Cause obviously that's a huge yeah. market. Uh, you just signed a huge distribution deal. Why don't you, uh, brag about that a little bit? Cause it sounds like you're going to be in a lot of stores very soon. And what's, yeah. what stores, if, if you know at this point, um, any major brands that uh, some of our listeners might recognize where they can find your product? Yeah, I do know them. I don't want to kind of stay anything until sure. the products are on the no shelf problem. or at least shipped out. But yeah, so we just signed a, a distribution deal with, with UNFI. Um, so, you know, one of the largest distributors of natural food products. I think they distribute into 30,000 plus retail stores. Um, in terms of our current store count, we're in, I think, around 350 stores mainly BC and Alberta, so west coast of Canada, but starting to get across the rest of Canada as we have this production capability coming online. Um, we're in, you know, all the, the Whole Foods here in BC. Um, and in terms of, yeah, American expansion, uh, I, I wouldn't be surprised if, if we're in, you know, if, with that initial launch, we're in going into 500 to 1,000 stores. Um, Great. Are, are you focusing on, on, a, on a certain section of the U.S. or is it coast to coast? Because um, I know you're, you're primarily West Coast Canada, uh, or if you can even say that yet. I don't know. Yeah. So, I mean, we're looking at the, the whole country. Um, definitely kind of wanting to start in that natural channel. So the kind of, I, I don't want to say higher end, but like, the, you know, the Whole Foods, the independents, the health food stores, as opposed sure. to going straight into big box stores like Walmart and Target. Um, so focus there. I think that's where our, our early adopter, our customer is. Um, and yeah, I mean, we've had, you know, a lot of meetings, a lot of, uh, kind of confirmed orders, uh, stores are really excited for the product and we can't wait to, to get it out there. Very cool. So in the meantime, it sounds like you can buy online as well, right? Um, is, is your primary focus in the future going to retail or are you still very focused on the online, uh, direct to customer business as well? Yeah. So we ship online across North America. Uh, we're sending out, you know, thousands of boxes a week. Uh, we have a monthly subscription box. We also have one-off orders. Um, and we've actually been doing this for, for years. Uh, so even before COVID hit, we were already a very kind of digital first business. Um, and for us, that was just because we were production limited. So let's sell direct to consumer and keep more of that margin as opposed to kind of pushing out all, all to grocery stores. Um, moving forward, I think it's, I mean, online is going to be important. I mean, currently it's maybe 50% of our sales. Long term, I see it coming down to 20% just because there's okay. so many grocery stores out there. And that's really a, a high volume game. Um, but we really love owning that relationship with our consumer. So being able to, to sell directly to them, have it show up on their door and not being at the kind of mercy of the grocery stores who, you know, maybe one week, okay, they don't like this product anymore. Let's put it in the back shelf. And then all of a sudden your sales are tanked. Um, so we love having that direct relationship with the consumer and really capturing, you know, that, that lifetime value. Definitely. Fighting for shelf space can definitely be brutal in some of these larger chains. Mm -hmm. uh, outside of grocery stores and online direct-to-consumer, have you partnered with any restaurants, any chains, anything like that? Or is anyone experimenting with your products uh, to maybe have you know an exclusive like feature deal to just use your mm -hmm. products? Is any of that in the works? It is. Uh, I can't speak too much on it. I mean, 
kind of before COVID, we were in a, a number of local restaurants and stuff here, no big chains. Um, throughout COVID, it's obviously been very challenging for the whole food service industry. Um, so what we're working on right now is just as we kind of come out of COVID, we'd love to, uh, to kind of announce, you know, one or two big partnerships with larger chains. Um, we have a number of, you know, chains trying, trying the product. Um, and that's kind of, yeah, as much as I can say for now. Uh, but I would hope that by the end of the year, we have uh, one or two partnerships we can, we can talk about. Great. Uh, so speaking of that, let's talk five years down the road. Where do you see the, the very good food company at? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so we want to be a global brand um, and kind of w- playing on these three pillars I talked about earlier. Um, so e-commerce, direct-to-consumer e-commerce, you know, subscription normal, uh, traditional wholesale grocery retail. Uh, and then the third piece is these brick and mortar butcher shop restaurants. Um, so we see this as more of a flagship store model. Okay. Um, so have like 15 or 20 around the world, showcase the brand, introduce people to the products. Uh, it's great for kind of media and PR. Um, so yeah, I mean, five years, we want to be in Europe. We want to be in Asia Pacific um, in those three channels uh, with our, our high quality meats from the very good butchers with cheeses, and then also going into other product categories as well. Uh, sauces, ready to eat meals, uh, seafood, um, and basically that yeah whole spectrum of, of high quality plant-based products. You know, that's really interesting. I guess I've, I, I don't think I've seen plant-based seafood. Does that exist yet? Um, obviously that's something you guys are talking about. It does. Yeah. It's, it's been big in the past few months. There's a documentary called Seaspiracy. Um, but yeah, there is plant-based seafood is still, I'd say newer than kind of plant-based meat and, and milk and cheese, uh, but it's definitely something that's, that's coming. Cool. So how about the industry in general? Let's let's say 30, 30 years down the road, are are we still going to be eating traditional hamburgers or is everything going to be alternative? Is it a mixture of both? Is it, is it always going to be that stronghold of people going, I'll, I'll never eat the plant-based mm-hmm. stuff or maybe we can turn the corner and they'll give it a try and then, or it, will it be maybe environmental reasons that get us mm-hmm. to switch? What do you, what do you think, you know, long, long-term down the road, how this space mm-hmm. looks? Yeah. I mean, what I'd love to see is where, where plant-based products are, are the norm and then meat-based products are the alternative. Sure. Um, but I think it's really going to depend on a lot of factors. I mean, I'd love to see things like factory farming gone. Um, they're just, you know, terrible for the animals, terrible for the environment. Um, and I think, I think we're going to get to a point where the plant-based products or even like cultured meat products um, are so good and tasty uh, and and close to the, the meat-based ones that it's going to be hard for someone once once they know about these products and try them and they have that great experience, it's going to be hard to justify eating an animal-based product. You know, if the taste, texture, experience are the same and one of them doesn't have, you know, this animal cruelty, these environmental issues, uh, these potential health issues, you know, with cholesterol and everything, um, then I think more and more people are going to be making the switch. Uh, I don't know if we're going to be in a, you know, fully plant-based world in 30 years, but sure. uh, I think it's going to become more and more prevalent I mean, I don't think it's a fad. I think it's a, a growing trend. It's been one of the top food trends the last few years. Um, so I think it's here to stay. So this is a question that just came to my head, actually. I'm not sure what the standards are in Canada for uh, foods and farming, but I know there's been a lot of criticism of the USDA about you know our food standards and maybe a reason that a lot of people are obese um, as where you know they weren't so much back in the day. And I know Europe has a lot, a lot stricter food standards with their farming. Mm-hmm. How do you... Uh, deal with that and what are your thoughts on you know the different standards between countries is there is there reason to really criticize the united states for our food standards because obviously i think the u.s model is kind of abundant and cheap Mm -hmm. get as much as you can out to everybody but you know 
other other markets are more stricter and it seems like uh americans are a lot more obese than other nations because of this matter or is it just simply that we have access to more food that's a great question um i think a lot of it is it comes down to to money right so like the cattle lobby the the dairy lobby like they have a lot of money uh and then they're they're lobbying the government who is then subsidizing these products so that like the reason all these products are are so cheap you know like milk, cheese, meat, et cetera, is because they're, they're heavily subsidized by the government. Like here in Canada, you know, dairy farmers get bailed out all the time, um, sure. heavily subsidized. Um, so if they take away those subsidies or, you know, maybe they should subsidize plant-based products as well, which are, which are healthier, like kind of level the playing field. Um, yep. That's some of my thoughts around it. Um, and I think, yeah, I think there's just uh, a ton of, of issues and, and companies that are lobbying, you know, like the, the whole sugar thing right now, there's a, there's a war on sugar cause it's, you know, pretty unhealthy. Um, <laughs> so yeah, I don't want to criticize the standards. I mean, I, I think it's great that there are standards and that they're, you know, relatively for the most part, you know, foods are safe and good to eat. Um, but I've seen even like the Canadian government is, is slowly moving away from like the recommended, you know, eat two portions of meat and a glass of milk per day and all that kind of stuff. Sure. Um, yeah. The, the yeah. U S food, food permit is pretty, uh, laughable by today's standards, I think. Yeah. But, um, Here's a question that you might not like, but yeah. I'm. this is from a personal standpoint. I'm sure it'll apply mm-hmm. to some other people as well. Um, I've been doing the keto diet before it was the cool thing to do, <laughs> but I've been doing it for years. I really, I really like it. I feel good, but yeah. it's, it's a lot of meat. I eat a lot of meat. I eat a lot of veggies. Mm-hmm. How do you, how do you tell someone like me that, you know, you should switch to plant-based and what, what would the benefits be of that? Because from a personal standpoint, I, I seem to enjoy the keto diet, but I'm open to new ideas as well. Yeah. And I think, I mean, there are people that do a plant-based keto diet as well. I think it's, it's much more difficult just with the current products on the market. Um, and I think, yeah, I think it, de- you know, depends on, on what veggies and stuff you're eating in there as well. Um, you know, I've been, been plant-based fully vegan for five years or so now, grew up vegetarian. Um, and I, I mean, I love it. I mean, our, I guess our whole approach is we're just trying to provide great alternatives and show and and kind of show that you know we're having a great time you know we're healthy the products are great uh, as opposed to telling people what they should or shouldn't eat or or how they should or shouldn't go about that um i think some of the benefits for plant-based eating are you know there's there's health environmental and ethical are kind of the the three pillars um that's that's not to say that other diets you know might might not be you know are healthier or do the right things for you but uh yeah Cool. Well, we need to get you down in the United States so I yeah. can actually try some of your products. Absolutely. <laughs> I'm excited. I'm looking forward to it. So maybe one last question before we go yeah. here. I don't know if you can answer this either, but um, you know, obviously you're growing, you're expanding fast. Um, you are operating at a loss though. Do you, uh, do you have any projections on when you see profitability for the company? Yeah. So right now, I mean, we're, we are laser focused on growth. As I mentioned before, we have all this pent up demand. Uh, so we're building out new facilities. We're scaling up. We're investing in, in CapEx. We're investing in people. Um, definitely have an eye on profitability. Um, you know, all of our, our business systems and models are built to, to get there, you know, eventually. I don't want to kind of put a pin in a date, um, sure. but it's something we're actively working towards. And I wouldn't be surprised to, to see it in the not too distant future. Okay, great. So where can listeners go online to find your products, learn more about the company and even potentially invest in the company? Um, as I mentioned, the, the ticker, if you're uh, trading in Canada is very V-E-R-Y. 
Uh, ticker on the OTC markets for American investors is VRYYF. Uh, where can everybody go to learn more about the Very Good Food Company? Yeah, so two websites. Uh, so verygoodfood.com is kind of our our, our corporate website, uh, information about the brands, uh, investor relations information, you know, our annual report, all that kind of stuff. Uh, and then if you want to order some meat to your house, verygoodbutchers.com. Uh, we've got a bunch of different boxes there. Um, so those two websites, uh, we're on social media at the Very Good Butchers and the Very Good Food Co. And yeah, that's it. You know what? I think I'm going to put my order in right now. <laughs> Just uh, email me your address. I'll send you a sample box. Awesome. I'm going to do that for sure. So check it out. We'll put all those links in the show notes for this episode. Mitchell, thank you so much for your time. Really enjoyed having you on Invest Like a Boss. Perfect. Thanks so much for having me. Cheers. Boom. Derek, good questions, man. This industry is not going anywhere. This is not a fast trend. All things sustainable are trending. And this is this is progress on a human level. This is where things are going. Unless there's some major setback and we go back into the dark ages, these things are here to stay. And I really like what he was saying about when you asked him about his vision and he said, I would like to see that we get to a place where alternative meats are mainstream and meat meats are the alternative. And I, I can fully agree that I think that's where things are going. Would you think, I think that after was, this interview, Derek? I think that was really cool too. And I'll admit maybe a year or two ago when I saw all this stuff popping up, I thought it really was kind of the, the fad, you know, it's cool to, to do this, but this stuff has staying power and I can definitely see the benefits. Um, I, I brought it up with Mitchell too. When you see some of the food standards, at least here in the United States, it's pretty sad what they can get away with and pass off as food. So anyone that's coming in with, uh, with a solution with, you know, with, you know, natural ingredients and not loaded with preservatives and other crap in it, I'm totally down for. And I know, like I, I told Mitchell, you know, I do keto diet and I eat a lot of meat, but I think yeah. I might need to start swapping in some of this alternative meat in there as well. Maybe not a hundred percent over, but you know, I'll, I'll, I'll put a little bit in there here and there, I think to see how it goes. Yeah. I mean, most of us were there. Yeah. I grew up eating red meat for dinner, probably four or five times a week. Um, but I think if you look forward to kind of 20 years down the road, I think it's going to be difficult to get a steak in Western markets. I think it'll be really taboo. Be a lot of stigma attached to going in and ordering a, a 32 ounce porterhouse. We'll be kind of like getting, like eating a whale in Japan or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's actually a great, that's actually a great analogy is we actually did this with whales, right? It used to be common in the 70s and 80s to go out and harpoon whales. And then it got, it was brought to the mainstream. Mainstream was like, wait a second. Mm, I think we like whales. They're kind of fun, harmless animals. They speak to each other, you know, but we're, we're basically doing the same stuff with cows and pigs and chickens and fish. But I, I do think 20 years from now, meat farming and, and this like this factory slaughterhouse stuff is probably going to start to go away pretty quickly. And it'll you know, be cows and pigs first, chickens and fish will be a little bit further down the line. But I think ultimately human progress will take us beyond meat farming and, and killing animals for protein. What you do know, you 20 years, 20 years, I think it'll be difficult to order a steak in Western markets. Thank goodness India doesn't eat um, meat now because you imagine how many 
pigs or how many yeah, they have cows, cows as their pets to feed them, right? <laughs> you know india actually does a lot of good stuff for the world if you think about it they're like 1.5 billion people but they don't eat meat and they don't use toilet paper at least the ones that i don't know so like rainforest and, <laughs> and cows are quite happy over there oh, um, who would have thought you looked to india for the solution <laughs> um <laughs> but well what do you, you think know, is the biggest one- obstacle here sam because to get to that point, I think Mitchell brought it up that, you know, the meat lobbyists, they go hard after these guys and they, they got, you know, their target is to crush these alternative meat companies or just buy them up. So I think that's a huge obstacle here because it's such an established market and there's a lot of money being poured into fighting these guys. I, to me, that's the hardest thing to overcome right you now. Know, Derek, it rhymes a lot like big tobacco and e-cigarettes to me, you know? Rhymes a lot. Rhymes a lot with with motor vehicles and electric vehicles. Like you can only resist change for so long. Like I was always worried about being killed by big tobacco uh, when we were starting the electronic cigarette company. And you know, I had their I had their like five main guys of Philip Moore sitting across from me saying, you know, this is the product we never saw coming. We saw everything else coming. We saw the inhalers. We saw the patches. We saw the gums. We didn't see this coming. Now it's eroding our tobacco sales at twelve percent a year. And I'm like, hmm. What's that costing you? A couple billion dollars. <laughs> <laughs> so what do you think? If, if you can't beat them, join them? Are, are, are these uh, big uh, food yeah. companies just going to buy them up? I, well, a lot of them will buy them up. A lot of them will create their own stuff. You know, there's big companies like uh, Kellogg and Kroger that are starting like massive, massive plant-based food um, alternatives. So absolutely. And, and that's where the opportunity is, right? Like if you get into Kellogg or Kroger, some of these big large cap companies, yeah, there's opportunity there, but it's getting into these smaller companies, even private companies, right? Not even these publicly listed companies. I mean, very good food companies. They're a listed company, but they're still very much a small cap company, right? So well, on that they same a, note, they have a lot of room to grow. On that same note, since you have experience in this, you grew a, a private company to you know, uh, going out and getting venture capital, raising series of rounds. And it sounds like they, they did a little bit of that, but they jumped into, into the IPO pretty quick. Do you think that would have been your move? Had you done the same thing? Um, let's say with your, with your SkySig company, you know, obviously you stayed private, but what do you think of their move to jump into the IPO so quick? Well, I think it was an opportunity that they had on the table and it sounded like it made, it made sense for them. You know, that, that option was never there for us. But companies are getting listed at smaller and smaller valuations. Uh, I know in the U.S. it's more difficult to get listed and be a really small company. So it seems like in Canada you can get listed a little bit easier. But you know, liquidity and and the ability to raise capital is is very very important for founders and investors. And if that's an if that's a route that you can take and you can keep your your uh, your ongoing and operating costs of of that listing minimal. Um, then it may make sense. I think in like the States, it used to cost several million dollars a year just to be listed. So you wouldn't do that unless you, you were a more developed company or had a lot, a lot of growth opportunity ahead. So Goldman uh, it's Sachs very wants interesting. their money. <laughs> it's very interesting. And I, I actually, I tried to buy their stock on the Canadian exchange, but I couldn't get access to it through uh, the TSX, through my E-Trade account. So I bought it through, I guess this is a disclaimer that I, I now own stock in a very good food company. Um, but I bought it through the OTC markets. So there's, there's less liquidity there, but you can still access their stock. So good to know that you're in. And I think it's a good move because the market loves growth. And he sounds like Mitchell said, it's all about growth right now. You know, there's tons of companies out there, huge companies, Uber, Lyft, 
None of them have made a profit. Tesla didn't even make a, their first profit until a year ago. And the market doesn't care. If you're growing, the they're care. all in. And he started, he said the first shares they IPO'd at 25 cents Canadian. And now they're at about 450 Canadian. So nearly 20 times. But I think there's room for growth. And obviously, I think you do too, Sam, if you invested in. What do you, what do you see in that made you jump in and buy the stock? Well, I want to I want to start playing a more active role in supporting businesses, not just for business sake, but businesses that I think are good for the world. Uh, there's also a profit story there. I think companies that have a really good story and can get this millennial audience investing in them. I think this is often why we saw like Tesla finally blow up is because they just have such a good story that a lot of people identify with. I know not everyone identifies. I know Elon's a little bit of a, a polarizing guy, but I think that Tesla's story is a good one and, and one worth supporting. And I was looking at, you know, I'm looking at my next moves as, as a, a business fellow and investor. And I was thinking, you know, there's all these things that I'm invested in that I don't necessarily think are good for the world. So maybe I can shift my focus over the next two years to what is good for the world. And we've you know, just look around the world, you can identify big problems that are, are there right now, right? Like I just saw a special on the Mariana Trench that's like 38,000 feet deep. And they're like, they think it's covered in plastic waste. <laughs> like, I believe it. I see, I know? live at the ocean. I see it all go in every it's, single day. It's really sad. It's, it's sick, man. And actually like, you know, sailing, once you're three miles off the coast, you can just dump your trash. <laughs> that's like an international rule. You just like dump your trash off, off your boat. It's crazy. But anyways, off that tangent, like I think meat, meat production uh, or meat protein replacements, you can look at things like reforestation or protecting the forest. Of course, renewable energies are something that's on everyone's mind with electronic vehicles and solar roofs and things like this. Then like something most people don't think about is just recycling and waste management. Like, have you ever gone and dumped your own trash? Cause here in South Carolina, we don't have a, gar a garage guy come pick up our shit and you know take it to the waste. No, we have to take our own stuff to the dump. And dude, when you see how much trash you actually go through and you have to go like to the landfill and see what everyone else is dropping off, it really makes you stop to think about that stuff. Um, and then there's like one, one thing actually that I think is really cool that's happening right now is agricultural tech. We've, we've done a couple episodes on this, but like vertical farming, uh, it's cool, man. Like the uh, Netherlands is now the second largest exporter of food and they're just this tiny little country, but they're doing everything in vertical farms now. So like, that's the future, right? You can just, everything's gonna be grown locally. You're not going to be importing strawberries from across the country or from an another country. They're gonna be growing strawberries like in your local municipality in a, in a vertical farm. So like all this stuff is coming online right now. I think it's, it's like an awesome time to be an innovator in this space. Um, but, you know, specifically on this episode, I think we hit the one that might be the largest opportunity right now and what we're going to start seeing really heavily in the mainstream. And that's, that's protein replacements. And I think it's the one that I can certainly get behind the most. Cause I think, you know, factory farming is just sort of an evil of this world as much as I, I still enjoy some pork and steak. I gotta be honest. <laughs> Same here. <laughs> I might've had some bacon this morning, yeah. um, but uh, I, from my perspective, I agree with everything you said. Uh, for me, I'm in grocery stores every single day for my business. And I just see the advertising being pushed into there, the shelf space getting bigger and bigger for this stuff. And it's taking over and it's all about shelf space when you're getting into retail. So the yep. fact that, they just signed with a uh, UNFI to do this huge deal. I think it's something like 11, 
uh, I don't know the exact number. It's over a thousand real retailers in the U S that they're going to be in along with the 500s in Canada right now. And they have this new production facility to handle all that. They're set up to explode. And maybe it's just cause I'm in Los Angeles and uh, you know, people are, you know, it's kind of maybe more of a thing to eat vegan or, you know, eat, try some of this yeah. alternative stuff, but people will pay a high premium on this stuff too. So from what I see from the store, the retail side, I think this is a home run on top of all the factors that you already said too. Yeah, I, I agree. And as much as much as I give California a bad rap sometimes, like I love the the stuff that they're doing in California on this level. Like a lot of places you go in California, you can't even get a plastic straw anymore. Yeah. And I think that's great. You know, I think that's fantastic. It should be adopted globally quick. Um, but you know, they're, they're pushing this stuff out there. So you actually have an advantage to be in California right now to keep an eye on this industry. Cause in South Carolina, you don't see any of it. Like you get the impossible burgers at like McDonald's and stuff and a little bit in the grocery store, but really for the most part, you see very little sustainable stuff. So keep an There's eye always on a it. little groaning at first, like the paper straw thing. The first paper straws that came out were awful, but now they got good ones that don't, you know, get mm-hmm. soggy and collapse in the drink. And then, you know, we got rid of plastic bags and then you just, you move on to other things and people adapt and you realize, okay, why did we do that before? So it usually when we're progressing nine times out of 10, I'd say things are for the better. And in this case, I think it's definitely for the better. I agree. I agree. I'm glad to see these these companies taking charge. I'm glad to see entrepreneurs that are making this, you know, their career. It's it's amazing. And really hats off to our Canadian neighbors to the North. They're much more conscious than us. (laughs) Sorry (laughs) that it feels like you're sometimes living above a meth lab in America, but the, you know, there's great companies coming out of Canada. And when it comes to sustainability uh, initiatives, I think Canada is kind of second to none. Uh, also for the listeners, if you guys want to check out other ways to invest in, uh, you know, sustainable foods or, or plant-based proteins, you can check out, there's a couple of ETFs. Um, one of the ETFs is called Vegan. It's V-E-G-N. That's an ETF. Uh, I think it's listed on the NASDAQ. You can also take a look. If you're non-American, take a look at RISE, R-I-S-E ETF. They have a sustainable foods uh, ETF and they're not just targeting say plant alternatives or sorry, what's the word? Meat alternatives, but actually any companies that are set up to benefit from this movement. So it could be packaging companies. There could be uh, distribution companies. Like we mentioned, uh, what is it? Unfi, right? They're yeah. actually a massive company. Check, they're huge. check yeah. them out. They're huge. Um, so there's there's a lot of companies that are going to benefit from the trend. And of course, you have like large companies like Kellogg and Kroger, Kroger that we mentioned that are, are developed. So yeah, they'll be getting in the game. But obviously, in any like type of, of moving tree like this, the earlier stage companies are going to present the biggest opportunity to, to generate wealth. Sure. And he also mentioned, you know, they're in Whole Foods in Canada. And if you weren't aware, Whole Foods is actually owned by Amazon too. So maybe even a play there. Um, and you know who you know who distributes to Whole Foods? Who is that? Unfi, of course. <laughs> <laughs> they supply the, so the, the, the leading supplier. Yeah. Let's uh let's keep this between us, but he wouldn't admit it. I'm gonna guess that they're gonna be in Whole Foods in the United States. <laughs> oh, right. Good point. Oh, yeah. Well, obviously, the writing's on the wall for that one. All you gotta do exactly. is do a little bit of research. It's funny, I didn't even put two and two together. Like I knew <laughs> that Unfi distribute was the biggest distributor to Whole Foods, but I didn't add up that that meant that they're going to be in whole foods in the USA, which we don't want to get Mitchell in trouble, but I think it's a, it's a pretty strong inference here that they're going to be in some whole foods locations here in the States. And also Mitchell promised that he's going to send Sam and I both a box to sample some of the stuff. So I think we'll throw 
our opinions in the boss lounge and probably on Patreon too. Once we try some of this tasty goodness. Yes, indeed. And I actually, I actually, I picked up the stock today. I put it in Patreon. Um, I posted it in Patreon. So if you're a Patreon supporter, thank you first and foremost for your help and supporting the show of course covers the, uh, the wonderful and talented Derek to work with us and, uh, and make the production of the episodes each month manageable and fun. And also as part of that, as part of the perks, Johnny, Derek, and I all post any type of investing that we're going to do at the time of. So in this case, when I picked up a very good food company, I posted in Patreon. And might I just say that since I just found this out, this stock is up quite a bit from where you bought it. So another reason to join Patreon, if you follow Sam, you did very well on this deal. And even if you just bought a little bit, I think that buys quite a few months of your Patreon membership. So uh, good on you, Sam. Yeah. Well, good on very good food company. Looking forward to trying their product. Actually, I'm very excited. And um, I'm just, I'm happy uh, about where this, the industry is going and all the other entrepreneurs and, and people that are working on these solutions. It's, I mean, it's, it's where it's the, where the human story is going. We're just becoming more conscious. Does, does meat taste good? Yeah. Does steak taste good? Bacon? Yeah, it does. Like I'll admit it. <laughs> I love he it, promised but... me their burgers taste as good as a real burger. So I'm really Dude, looking forward to trying this all, out. It's all, it's all about that sauce. All about that sauce. <laughs> uh, speaking Great. of sauce, uh, lots of sauce for five-star reviews. I'll give some of that out. We got a new one this week. Uh, if you listen on Apple Podcasts, just scroll to the bottom. They make it a pain to leave a review, but we really appreciate it. And it helps us get cool guests like CEOs of really cool food companies um new one Stinkbug one shout out uh great show five stars johnny and sam host of the invest like a boss podcast highlight all aspects of investing and more in this can't miss podcast the hosts and expert guests offer insightful advice and information that is helpful helpful to anyone that listens so thanks for that review we appreciate all your five-star reviews thank you so much sam what else you got <laughs> When are they going to start saying Derek and those co-hosts in the reviews? <laughs> I'm wondering that myself. I might have to write my own. In there, uh, I, guess. I love it. No, thanks for the <laughs> reviews, guys. And uh, also, if you know anyone that's thinking about investing or starting a sustainable food company or wants to know more, please share this episode with your friends or family. This is how the episodes and the podcasts uh, get out there and, and hopefully affect people for the positive in various ways. But other than that, Derek, thank you for being a great co-host. And uh, again, thanks to all the patrons that are supporting the show. Awesome. Thank you, Sam. And if you go on to check out more on Very Good Foods, if you're in the US, ticker is V-R-Y-Y-F. If you're Canadian, it's V-E-R-Y. Uh, the two websites that Mitchell mentioned one more time, verygoodfoods.com and verygoodbutchers.com. Excuse me, verygoodfood, singular, verygoodfood.com and verygoodbutchers.com. Thanks for listening to the Best Like a Boss podcast. Join our mailing list at investlikeaboss.com to get exclusive access to our insider investment portfolios and our private members forum. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. Tell your friends and leave us a review in the iTunes store. It helps more than you know. See you guys next week.